I had this teacher in high school in my English class, Mr. John Jack Shred, and he's one of the biggest figures looming in my career story. He is a hero of my career story because he taught me something very important. This work we do, creating things meant to have some kind of an impact on us as the creators and our audiences, creating things is about feeling stuff. I've tried to protect that idea and reflect on it as I've forged a career in business because it's there that so many people forget that. They use content as a hollow means to an end to trigger some kind of result, a sales lead, a purchase, fame, influence. I've tried to protect this idea that actually creating things is about you feeling something during the process and the completed work triggering emotions in other people. Thanks to Mr. Shred, yes, I love to write, but more so I love to make myself and others feel with my work. I remember Shred in the classroom doing that incredibly well. He would make Huck Finn seem like an old friend down the street. You'd think they'd just hung out this past weekend, given how excitedly and how vividly he would tell the story, mostly from memory. He'd make Gatsby feel somehow present in the room. A tedious Wednesday afternoon at school would somehow feel much grander, as Shred would read Fitzgerald's words, pushing his glasses up his nose in a not-so-grand kind of way. And as he read, stretch our arms farther, Mr. Shred would stand on his toes, one arm balancing a really old, tattered copy of Gatsby, while the other arm stretched, stretched, stretched towards an unseen point outside the room. Nothing was out there, but something was unmistakably out there. Those moments gave me chills. I was a high school student whose entire world was built on wildly changing and ultimately fleeting emotions, but those feelings were the ones that remain rock solid all these years. In my career in marketing and in business more broadly, the notion that we could create for the algorithm, create to generate a metric, and skip all the emotional labor in between, that there's no art to this, that we can turn process into a nice clean deck or formula to be sold and repeated forever, I just feel sorry for anyone who thinks that way. They're missing the best part. Truly, they are. Those moments with Mr. Shred made me understand Creating to feel something and help others feel something isn't a nice benefit of the work. It is the work. In this job that you and I hold, the emotions are all there is. Create to feel. It's a simple enough idea, yet so terribly hard to master. Whether we reject the need to feel entertaining because we're trying to teach, or we've lost sight of what this is for entirely. Today's guest and his team do all of this stuff incredibly well. They embrace that this is emotional labor, that you should be entertaining even while doing things that are incredibly important. I want to know how you do the things you do A thing, a two, a three that only comes from you This is Three Clips Today, we talk to Salim Reshamwala, the host of Far Flung. It's a TED podcast, part of their TED Audio Collective, and it's a travel show that he creates with a group of people that he's quick to shout out, which I love. Salim is a filmmaker whose focus is on reaching a diverse audience with his work and creating clear messages about complicated ideas that are also entertaining. He's a serious traveler. He's actually been around the world twice on a boat. And he's filmed rappers and hip-hop artists all over the world for part of PBS's beat-making lab. He created a short film about implicit bias for the New York Times, which was nominated for an Emmy. And this, Far Flung, is Salim's first podcast or audio-only storytelling 
project. In this travel show, he seeks to bring out some kind of specific theme, story, some cultural and historical relevancy by publishing episodes that are immersive, that are emotionally rewarding and wildly entertaining, even while he explores things that are really important to the world. His and his team's show is nutritious and delicious. And isn't that the same goal we all should have? One of the things I've recognized, I've done some video, I've done some audio. I actually started with more audio and moved into documentary. And I I actually, even before audio, started as a writer. And I've just noticed that between writing, podcasting, and film and video and docs, there's such subtleties in the mediums and how you tell stories and how you write for those stories. So as someone who has done a lot of film, I understand that Far Flung is your first podcast. And I'd love it if you can highlight, like, what are some of the differences that you're uncovering for for better or for worse in the process? Yeah, you know, a big one in making a visual documentary, if I've got a beautiful image in front of me, that's going to hold you for a little bit. And we can have a little bump, you know, we can have a little kind of vibey moment in the storytelling where someone's being a little poetic and wandery and if I've got visuals that'll hold you, you're going to stay with me. That's not at all to say that story structure isn't vitally important to a visual documentary as well. It's just there's a little more to play with. With audio, I I feel like you really have to keep pulling people through story-wise. The other thing, two more things really, one being that because a screen is something that really requires your eye contact, even in this like mashup age of doing a million things at once people are usually would say if you ask them what they're doing they're watching the thing that's in front of them if you're watching something on screen whereas with a podcast they might be doing something else you might be in the kitchen you might be cooking so getting used to you know what we frequently call signposting in podcasting where you basically are just like here's what's happening in the story in visual documentary it's super cheesy if i just pause and i'm like let me make sure you guys see what what's what's happening here. And then the third huge difference for me was interviewing. I love interviewing in visual for visual docs. And in visual documentary, I'm often trying to make myself completely invisible in the interview, right? So I have this whole system of nods and kind of partial raised eyebrows and all these, you know, the the where I say hmm with my face, but I'm not actually making any sound that are just kind of cues to the person I'm talking to to either keep going or, you know, to expand on something. In my initial audio interviews, all those instincts worked against me rather than for me. You know, um, the initial notes from producers were like, oh, we need to hear you reacting more. And it's it was a very different thing learning to almost intentionally insert myself in the piece in a way that felt would have felt very like breaking the fourth wall if I were to do it in a video piece. Okay, so now that you know a little bit about Salim and his show, it's time to dissect Far Flung. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Wistia. What gets you so excited that you start talking too loud? A few things that do that to me, uh, quoting 90s comedies. Yeah. Like, say, if we're debating if shampoo is better or conditioner is better. If you know, you know. Also, I get way too excited about how to make a great marinara sauce. 
By the way, when it comes to basil and oregano, a palmful, or two or three, that's the correct unit of measurement. And of course, entrepreneurship, creativity, building brands, and telling stories. Those things get me talking too loud. And that's why I have a lot in common with Chris Savage. Chris is the CEO of Wistia, our presenting sponsor, and he's also the host of a great podcast called Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. That's where he talks way too loud about and to people who are focused on building more human brands. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and check out more of Wistia's original series, which are quirky and fun, refreshing and insightful, and all focused on building modern brands. You can find Chris's podcast and all their original series at wistia.com series. That's wistia.com slash series. For listeners and for you, Celine, here, here's how we're going to do it. So every episode, we follow the same format. We're going to go with three clips and a fourth segment without a clip. So the first three clips bring out three important things about show development. One clip is for the premise, the big idea, why people would subscribe and care and share. The second clip is for the format, the experience, the structuring of the story, the things I, I really can't wait to talk to you about because I feel like while you do have a great premise, I feel like that is the almost calling card of this show is the experience of it all. And then third and finally, the connection that you as talent forge with your listeners and how that relationship forms. Because obviously the object is not to just create a bunch of stuff, it's to create something that makes a difference and connects with people. And then the fourth and final segment, without a clip, we'll look ahead really, really briefly and talk about reinvention. And as a reminder for you, the listener, stick around after the credits where Salim is going to share a show he'd like to share a little bit more love towards and give them a shout out because they deserve it because we're all hard at work making shows. And look, we're not all at the top of the Apple charts here. So all right, let's head into the first clip. This is the clip that highlights the premise of the show. And in this clip, just to set it up, we are going to do this episode, uh, the same episode for all three clips, where you're exploring something in Lima, Peru. And it comes right at the top of the episode, where you've introduced the concept of Far Flung, and that it's a show about visiting different cities and understanding the ideas that flow from that city and those cultures. Uh, and you've, you've introduced the fact that this one will be about Lima. And it's going to focus on a young Peruvian musician and the musical culture uh, of what the main character in your episode refers to as the Andean Bronx, which we will dig into. And you've also told us that the format of this particular episode will be that of a mixtape. So let's go to the clip. Here we go. That's Liberato Cani, emceeing at the National Theater here in Lima this past February. He's rapping in a mix of Spanish and Quechua. If you haven't heard of Quechua, that's kind of the point. It's the most widely spoken indigenous language in Latin America. About 10 million people speak it. And Liberato's bringing it to people in a whole new way. His MC name, Liberato Cani, means I am a free man. And a call and response you hear throughout his concerts is... Quechua is resistance. So, thoughts on hearing this clip? What did you think of or notice when you heard it played back to you? Um, so first of all, just extreme happiness that you chose this clip. It was This episode was super fun. It was actually my last international trip before the lockdown. And yeah, we got to be really playful with this episode. You know, one thing, if, if there's only one thing that you include about this show in the entire episode, it would be that it's a, a collaborative podcast, right? Like, so... Yeah, our sound designer is Kristen Mueller. She was amazing. 
we had just a, a really fun sound team on that one. And two producers on this show, there's Elise Blennerhassett and Oscar Durand. And um, Oscar is actually Peruvian, lives in America, but is, is from Peru. You know, with this show, part of the reason why this episode was so special was I was already supposed to be in Peru. You know, so I was already there filming. I was actually filming hip hop in Peru. And, you know, we got a pitch from Oscar Durand, the uh, amazing Peruvian documentarian and and um, producer and, you know, does, does all kinds of great work. And he had this pitch about a, a rapper. And I was down there filming. That guy was actually on the list of people who I was supposed to meet because I was documenting an international hip hop exchange down there. So it just could not have worked out better from a from a pure luck standpoint. So the the clip that we brought into this section already it's layered, and I guess what I'm wondering is when you have this uh, complex production and also a complex premise, or at least a premise where far flung you're exploring Lima, Peru, or maybe even you zoom in slightly the culture, the music culture, the hip hop culture, these are broad topics for a complex edit. How do you start these episodes or start the story? How do you help somebody access what has a lot of surface area, so to speak? Does that, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, there's two ways to answer that. I mean, one would be, there's the clean answer, which is like, oh, this is how we did it. And then there's like the the rougher, more interesting answer, which is that in the beginning, we didn't have a, a full structure to the episode, right? So, you know, we... The the premise of the show is every show pairs a place and an idea, and I think what makes it distinct is we try to create an immersive sonic experience around that area, right? So, you know, some podcasts you can achieve just by phone call interviews, and then some, and when I say just, that's not at all to diminish that, that's an extremely challenging art in and of itself is getting people to talk on the phone, but... This one, you have to have someone on the ground getting sound. So for this, like, I was just trying to be as experimental as possible, grabbing layers of sound down there. You know, we, in the initial pitch, it had been about Liberato Cani, the, the main MC who gets introduced there. And through the research that, you know, Oscar had, Elise had, and then me, um, both on the ground in advance, looking into some of this stuff, there were other folks in this kind of movement these other artists we were able to talk to and it was it was this was actually a really tricky one because you know we wanted to focus on what was happening with indigenous language and how it was being used in hip hop there was a lot of back and forth because is hip hop saving this culture is like an actually really common story that in and of itself wasn't interesting enough to me as someone who's been kind of working in this oddly specific area of international hip hop for a while so we had to dive a little deeper into what's happening with indigenous languages in Peru specifically. And then structurally, you know, it was a challenge because we did have a few different artists in it and it wasn't all one person story. So it wasn't super clear arc of this one arc is going to carry us over the whole episode. That's so interesting because it could, there's two ways that the episode could tip after that clip in my mind. It could be, this is the guy we're following. This is his story. And then we'll zoom out to the universal. And there's a, there's like a common trope. I don't know that they're, they have a name for it at This American Life, but I believe they made it popular in the podcasting world anyway. For lack of a better term, I'll call it that's the thing about. You tell one specific story about one specific person or instance, 
And then you say, that's the thing about, and you zoom out to the theme. So that's the thing about strangers. It's like they have a unique view on who we are as people, even though we don't have a personal connection to them, right? Oh, okay, this episode is about strangers. And and, uh, obviously they do it artfully and carefully and journalistically, but there's a danger that you can just sort of zoom too far in, stay close to home, I think, with one subject, and then conflate that person's one experience with some grander universal and I, I didn't get that in this episode whatsoever, but it, it does feel like there's a danger when you do docu-style things that the single story can then be interpreted as a universal in a, in a dangerous way or a tactful way. And it's such a delicate dance. Yeah, you know, one of the things that happened over the course of the season, and this is the first season of a podcast, so of course it's evolving as we're figuring out what the show is, right, was we decided to make it as clear as possible when it was one person's thing and to not worry as much about making a grand statement about the place that we're talking about. So, you know, people may, people we interview may say something like, Oh, Lima is this or Lima is, but if you notice in the episodes, I actually never say like, Oh, and that's the thing about Lima. It's this, that, or the other, you know, I mean, especially because I'm not traveling to all the places, right? So sometimes this is a phone call show where to counter that, we're, we have someone on the ground that we're working with, a co-producer who, in the, the best cases, actually turns into a co-host. While we're on the premise, I do want to ask you some questions about uh, what what being a TED Network podcast actually mean, like a part of the TED podcast family. Because um, I think a lot of people listening will see the TED logo on the cover art. They'll hear that it's a part of TED's many podcasts now. And they'll wonder, what does that even really entail? What does that mean to you, the creator? Yeah, well, it's really varied. And so this show was very unusual in that it was conceived before it was paired with a host. So they reached out to me and that's how the conversation started. They had already, it was really unusual in that they'd already started, you know, some of the the research and even some of the audio recording for an episode, um, more than one episode actually. And, you know, it's, it's tricky because podcasting is such a almost personal relationship format, you know, that, that you're, you're trying to figure out, it's, it's tricky to figure out like where you're, where you come in, like if something's already started a little bit. So a lot of our early sessions were that, and we're figuring out like, oh, what's this show going to be? And, you know, what's going to make it different from other shows? I'm always interested in like, what's going to make this a thing that only we could have made? That doesn't, I don't mean that at all in a superior or inferior way. I just mean that like the deeper you dig into your own weirdness, the more interesting what comes out is going to be. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. If you if you were to white label it, so to speak, you could tell it's yours still. That's the hope. Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we explicitly didn't want to do was have it sound too much like a TED Talk, to have it feel very different than listening to a 45-minute compilation of TED Talks, which is a fascinating thing, but it's just it's just a different kind of thing, right? Our next section is about the format and the structure, and I think that is something that this show does incredibly well. I'm so excited to dig into it with you, Salim. Uh, while you have a great premise, a great premise to me is just a, it's a great start, right? It's the concept, it's the IP, but once people opt to subscribe, now they need motivation to stay. And that is where your story structure, your production decisions, the flow and the feel come in. And uh, so I want to play this clip where you actually introduce 
to the listener implicitly what the format will be. You did say it'll be like a mixtape, but this is one of those clips where it's like, oh, I get it now. I'm in on the joke and I can anticipate eagerly how the episode will unfold. Uh, so let's go to the clip so people can hear what I'm so geek level excited about. So Liberato rapping in Quechua flowed great to my ear. As someone who didn't have a lot of linguistic and cultural context, it's just good sounds. But sometimes locals were shocked to hear the language mixed into hip-hop. Track three, welcome to the donkey belly sky. And one of those locals is my friend Oscar Durand. He's producing and basically co-hosting this episode with me. Oscar grew up in Lima in the 80s and first left Peru in 2002 to study and live abroad as a photojournalist. The first time that I heard Liberato's music, I was surprised. You know, it was not the first time I heard Quechua. I heard it when I was in Peru, obviously. But it was the first time that I heard someone rapping in Quechua. Hmm. And it was a new context for the language, a different energy. So I knew that I had to meet this guy. Uh, tell me the story, man. I wasn't there. So You can do anything to try and engage your listener and, and keep them moving forward and use any kind of story structure or technique and you went for this particular episode with the feel of a mixtape where you have an MC actually introduce track three, track four, et cetera. How did that idea come together? And also, how did it change your ability to produce a compelling story? Yeah, so I, I think the idea of naming the tracks actually came from somebody else after, you know, we'd figured out like, oh, let's make it a, a mixtape. I think one of the ex the executive producers said, oh, maybe you name the tracks. Maybe that helps give you, you know, a little structure to it. And it was one of those situations where the structure makes it more fun. You know, there's a lot of things like this where sometimes if you don't have as big a playground to play in, you're like, oh, I'm stuck in the sandbox. I'm going to make something crazy with sand. You know, like the the limitation actually allows you to do wilder things because now the listener knows what's going to happen, right? They know we're going to get sections. They know we're going to get titles. So they'll, they'll give us a lot of leeway in how we do that. So I... You know, we played around with it. We played around with me kind of like messing with yelling out titles in interesting ways. But then there's this guy, the, the first dude I ever did a hip hop music video for is this guy, John Law, a.k.a. The Real Law. He's a, a rapper. And, you know, he was interested in sound design. And I called him up and I was like, hey, do you think you do in hip hop? We call them drops, right? Like, do you, would you do drops for the episode where you you say the name of the track and just, you know, kind of hype it up? And me, Elise, and John Law got on the phone together, and he did these drops, and it was so much fun. And I love, my favorite thing that can happen in a, in a project is when you tip past something, and you're like, oh, now we're, we're not just trying to solve a problem. Now we're like in a full, bizarre, experimental world, and we're cracking each other up. You know, like we're just dying. John just is getting more and more epic. There's actually so I think the takes you hear are there are in the middle of the range because the other ones were just so epic, like just really, really like actually too huge for the story we were telling, you know. But yeah, I love that that feeling when you I also love like the way that so much of my video career has has happened has been seeing what happens when you get people in the room together who might not normally meet, right? So, you know, I just try to bring in 
I on a few episodes, I actually ended up bringing in local folks that I know here in Durham, which could seem like a very weird move, right? Like it's <laughs> Durham, North Carolina is not a big city. It's it's not especially international, but I love finding ways to dig deeper into something that has personality, right? So a small place has personality. And so if I'm drawing talent from here, it's going to make me make different decisions. This On another episode of the show, on, on the Bangkok episode, which was the first episode of the show, we actually invited like a Thai American friend. I <laughs> I actually invited him over. And I think the message I sent to him was, hey, man, can you just sit next to me while I record my first podcast narration and just tell me two things. One, if I sound like a human being. And two, just tell me anytime I say something possibly dumb about Thailand, which is a place I've never been, you know? And so then this guy, Raj, is sitting sitting next to me. He's, like I said, Thai-American, spent time in Thailand. And he starts saying things, and he's cracking me up. And I realize, like, oh, this dude can say things that I can't and is just funny and interesting. And I'm interested in the process while I'm making it. I'm being entertained you know, for all the talk about like how you have to focus on your audience and not yourself, like it's easy to get lost in double, like kind of over guessing what the audience needs when you don't have the information. And so sometimes it's a good sign when you yourself are deeply engaged or deeply entertained in the process while it's happening. So I try to note that feeling when it occurs. So that happened both in that Bangkok episode when Raj started talking and it was clear that he needed to be included in the episode. We just stuck a mic in front of him and he basically ended up co-hosting that. And in this episode, the moment where it really turned was when we just what we talked about when we brought in John and he started doing those mixtape drops. And it was like, okay, this is going to be fun. And it's going to be a little like self-referential and it'll be new to some people and old to some people who listen to the hip hop mix mixtapes, you know, so it, it would let us hit on a lot of different levels. The the through line emerging already is this idea of collaboration and the team also collaborating with people outside the team, of course. I, I do I feel like not a lot of people get that opportunity. And, and there's, you know, many reasons you can point to. A lot of people are running a show that is just part of their overall work, which which I know is also the case for you. But as a result of that, they don't have what I'd call slack in the system. So when an opportunity presents itself, they're like, that'd be cool, but I have an hour to talk to this person. I only had one hour to prep and I have one hour in post and I kind of got to ship things maybe that weren't as good as I intended, or I, I'd like to experiment and play, but I, I don't have that slack in the system. But that's just one symptom or one potential reason that people aren't actually collaborating more fully. Um, so I just know that our listeners, some of whom aren't in the position to collaborate, are, are sort of a little bit confused by the credits of a lot of shows like yours, where you rattle off all these names. Could you just give us a, a clear visual of who's working on this show? But more importantly, what is it they specifically did on this episode? No, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I'll say that, like, in I, I know we keep comparing my work in film to the work in podcast, but there's just some interesting kind of distinctions and parallels in them. And one huge distinction is sometimes, especially when I started in film, I was doing everything by myself, shooting, researching, you know, editing, sound design on the, the, the video, you know. So I've been on both ends of the spectrum. And, yeah, this podcast actually has a bigger team than many films that... I've worked on many short films, you know. So to break down those roles, there's an executive producer, a team of executive producers, basically. I mean, the the terminology is a little, you know, I won't be as, as super exact with, with who's an executive producer and who's not because it's tricky for me to remember the exact titles. But basically, there's 
Eric Newsom, who, you know, is with Magnificent Noise and, you know, you can follow. He has a, a podcast uh, newsletter now, The Audio Insurgent, with and a book out recently that they're just really good advice for how to form podcasts. He's got a ton of experience in the field. Jesse Baker is a, another executive producer. I was most hands-on with, with Eric. Those folks are kind of helping shape what the show is as a whole, um, keeping things moving. They're the production company. And then there's a team of creative from TED, a bunch of really amazing people who have done a huge variety of of writing and film production, all these kinds of things. And they're helping shape the narrative as well. So those folks are, you know, we when I pitch an episode idea, I pitched about three or four, I think, of the 10 episode ideas. The others came from the producers, the other the other folks in the team. So anytime you're pitching, you're pitching to someone, right? So the people who we're pitching to are the folks at TED. And to some degree, your executive producers are folks you're kind of like pitching ideas to, right? And then you have the producers who... That's a word that has, you know, a pretty varied meaning in audio, right? It, it you could be a producer and you might actually be the reporter, recorder, editor, you know, you could be everything and you're called you're called the producer, right? So in this case on our show, the producers are all often getting, you know, they may be pitching, they may they may be researching ideas, you know, but they're doing a ton of the research in advance. And then also setting up phone calls, scheduling meetings. This one was a little different because I was on the ground alone in Lima. It wasn't even one where we, you know, set things up as a plan to do the episode. But, you know, we also had Oscar Durand who, you know, I did the interviews in Spanish, but Oscar is a native Spanish speaker and is Peruvian and a great storyteller. So he helped arrange some of the meetings. He did a bunch of the research, came up with a ton of the ideas um, and that's where it's like super, that's kind of the production phase, right? So we had the pre-production phase is just the the pitch. You have your producers are pitching to, to executive producers or other editors kind of, right? And then in the production phase, me and the producers are, are kind of doing everything at that point. We're figuring out who to call. We're calling. I'm doing the interviews. In some cases, I'm doing them with a co-producer in this, in our particular show where we're trying to work a lot with local co-producers who as much as possible are co-hosts, you know? Yeah, I love that. And the other thing is, you know, I don't, you know, it's very hard to say something smart about a place where you haven't spent a ton, ton of time, you know? So I'd rather, you know, not try. I'm happy to, like, I, one of my jobs on the show, I, it took me a long time, and I didn't realize this until later in the season, is just to provide metaphor, you know, to help the listener relate it to something they might be familiar to, you know? And, it's really lucky to have a local co-producer there who can check my metaphor and be like, actually, that's insane. It doesn't make any sense and will give people the complete wrong idea, you know? And to go through these these phases, then, then there's post-production. Once all the tape's in, sometimes post-production kind of goes back. You make another phone call or two, you know? But in the post-production phase, our producer in our show is also the editor. And then it goes off to a sound designer. The sound designer is adding in all those different like kind of lush sounds and you know some of that you know in the Bangkok episode for example a lot of it is about water and flooding and you know I think our sound our sound designer actually used some kind of crazy recording device that was waterproof and did some things in her backyard pool like to get all these really cool sounds so are are these are these scripts like you know is the sound designer getting something that says directionally try this or are they coming up with inventive things on their own or a bit of both yeah it's a mix you know there's it's a bit of both and in some cases are you know elise is actually a great sound designer herself so she did 
a bunch of sound design on the episode as well. So awesome. So Farflung has a great premise and a great structure, format, experience, let's say. So you provide people ample motivation to subscribe and ample motivation to stay, given what they experience inside the episodes. And I think a lot about motivation to act. Where does the relationship form? So that is this third and final clip that we're going to play. Again, the same episode. And in this clip, just to tee it up, it comes just after uh, DJ Just John, who introduces all the tracks. Uh, He's just introduced track six. It's a language lesson. And it's almost exactly halfway through the runtime of this episode. So let's go to the third and final clip. Wow, that was such a soothing track interlude. Thank you, John. And yeah, we're going to get a quick lesson from Liberato. He's actually a language teacher, and he's going to teach us some Quechua words. So in South America, Spanish and Quechua have a long history together. There's some common Quechua words you might recognize that have been adopted into Spanish, like papas, which is Spanish for potato, and also into English, like condor, jerky, llama, or quinoa. And if you get to go to one of Liberato's concerts in person... He might just teach you some Quechua during the concert itself. So Oscar and I asked Liberato to give us a quick Quechua language lesson. We started with some useful phrases for just getting around his hometown. So in the mountains, to say hello or how are you, you say... So if I say... You reply... Which is like, I'm fine, I'm good. Next phrase. means. What, what were your thoughts in producing that? Why, why take that little tiny step outside the story to have like a mini language lesson embedded? Yeah, so there's there's a couple things there. One, we actually got a note from um, the team, which was a great note. It was, I, I, I just want to hear more Quechua. We're not hearing enough of that language. We're hearing it a little bit in the music, but it it's just not as present. And so it doesn't feel, you know, we, we constantly come back to, you know, while we're not coming back to, to structures, we're constantly coming back to our approaches. And one is to make it feel, I want you to feel like you walked into the wrong cafe and it just puts you in a portal into another country. That's, that would be a perfect experience for you to have and say, oh, that was kind of like the show Far Flung, you know? And so if you were in that cafe, you would hear Quechua. We didn't have a ton of audio from my trip down there that had that in there. And so sometimes, you know, uh, there's a thing I like to do, which is just find like the dumbest possible solution and then just do it <laughs> all the way, Right. I'm really intrigued by times when you can just be like, okay, this is not a genius solution, but if we commit really, really hard and we just run a language class in the middle of this episode, it's actually going to be interesting and mix things up in in an interesting way, you know? I I got that there was a little bit of a wink and nod (laughs) to that, but it didn't feel completely out of left field for the flow of the episode, but it did remix things enough that, you know, were I washing the dishes and starting to zone out, I'm, I'm right back there. I don't know if this is squarely related to something I've heard you say before, but it reminds me of the fact that you claim you create Sesame Street for adults. Can you just unpack what that means? It's a useful way to talk about what I'm sometimes doing in film, which is explainers for really complicated things. 
that you don't want to hear somebody give you a lecture on, say, implicit bias in race. Like that's just a very you may if you have if you sorry, let me rephrase that. If you don't already have a very strong interest in implicit bias, you're not going to sit through a lecture on implicit bias. So one of the things I'm often trying to do in my work is figure out like a really fun way to get someone hooked and interested in learning something. And I think I really, you know, I lived in Japan for seven years. One of the things I did while I was over there was I subscribed to the Asahi Shogakusei Shimbun, which is the the Asahi Daily News is like, or the, the, the Asahi newspaper is like one of the, the biggest newspapers in Japan. And they make a elementary school newspaper. And so I would read the elementary school newspaper as I was trying to learn Japanese. And I remember once they had an explanation on inflation, which is one of those things you hear. And it's like, we all kind of understand inflation until you realize like, wait a minute, I don't really understand inflation. And the way <laughs> I realized that is like, I was reading this really detailed explanation of inflation for elementary school kids. And it was like fun. They had a comic and like, there's a lot of techniques that we use to help kids learn stuff that for some reason we think are too immature to use with adults, but nobody likes being bored. You know, nobody is actually ecstatic that they're wearing a suit in the middle of the day when it's hot outside. Like, that's just a weird costuming of adulthood. And I think that even happens in storytelling that like we're listening to something that we feel is the kind of thing we should listen to. And then we zone out. We're not really paying attention to it. So like how can we tap into the joy that you might feel in your brain? How can we make you feel okay with not knowing about stuff, you know, and, and help you learn it? All right, we're going to mix things up, then we're going to talk about reinvention. We're going to look ahead for your show. Uh, there's no clip associated with this segment, but as with any creative project, especially things delivered consistently, I feel like once you bump up against the friction that is time, your enemy becomes the passage of time. Stagnation is the enemy. And I wonder, as you look ahead for this show, what are things you're hoping to try, planning to try, uh, things that you're trying to do to keep the experience fresh, not only for the audience, but also for you as the creator and your team? Yeah, we have this. It's an interesting time to be asking this because we have this kind of holding pattern right now while we're figuring out what's going to happen next, right? Like, this is obviously a very weird time to make a travel show about ideas when no one can actually travel. It's both a blessing and a curse, right? It's, it's really cool to listen to something international, and it's like a, a, a time where it's very hard to actually do that. You know, we had episodes where it wasn't a problem of us getting to the place. It was a problem of getting like a sound recorder to a place, even if it was a place that was totally on lockdown, for example. So we're in a time right now where we're trying to reimagine what the next steps might be and what the show might look like. I think that the more we can involve local production teams and the more that we can move, the the show was kind of evolving almost to, you know, like I said, there's some episodes where it's almost co-hosted by a local producer. I love that model. And I think the more we can dive into building relationships with local producers and the more we can have, you know, even local producers pitching us stories or developing stories in, in conjunction, the, the earlier we get their involvement, the more distinct the show will be. So my two kind of like big goals, and again, it's the it's a huge team. So there's a lot of folks that are going to be involved in this and figuring out this and having their own goals and coming up with things I would never conceive on my own. 
But what I want is for us to get deeper into those local creative relationships and then to hit just as much as possible these spaces where we're being really playful. I think as long as we get into that playful space, and that can happen even on like a, I'm using playful in a very broad sense. That can happen even on something that touches a a really challenging topic. But the more we can get into that playful headspace, the better our show will be. I in, in video editing, I had a friend recommend something to me. I was really stuck on an edit and I couldn't figure out where to go. And he said, try to surprise yourself in every new scene of this thing. And it was such a, it was a project that could have been incredibly boring, but then it just got really, really weird. Like it just got really, really weird. And the client loved it. They loved the video. And so now I try to think about that. Like how can we as a team keep surprising ourselves? I know it's a really delicate balance with the audience, thinking about the audience because you do have to keep running it up against like, where's the audience? Where's their head? But for me, I don't, you know, have to do podcasts. There's other things that all of us could be doing. It's not like a, it's not necessarily a field you should get into if you're just trying to make money. So if it's not fun and engaging and surprising for you, it's hurting you in two ways. Like it's not fun and surprising and engaging, which is a bummer. And also it's going to be hard to get into new, interesting, creative spaces. Thank you for making the show that you make. Thank you for coming on our show and and sharing everything that goes on to make your great show. Some podcasts thank their guests by sending out swag. Some send little note cards. What What we do for our guests is, you know, we're trying to use our platform for greater possible good. And one small way we're doing it is to place a small donation in your honor to nokidhungry.org because they're doing incredibly work, good work. They always do, but during the pandemic, especially in the economic uh, crisis that we're in, it's just such important work. Uh, Salim, first of all, listeners, go check out Far Flung and all of Salim's other projects in film as well. Uh, And thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Every time you do, you're supporting an independent show built by independent creators. This episode was produced by Cherie Turner. Original theme music by Cardboard Rocketship, an independent folk band in New York City. Big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Wistia. You can explore their tools for podcasters and video marketers at wistia.com. Or you can watch their original shows, and they have several, all about building modern, more human brands. That's at wistia.com slash series. Lastly, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Playing Favorites, to get one new idea for free, one new story every Friday morning, all about the same thing that we both want to do, make the audience's favorite things. As Mr. Shred taught me, making things that make us feel and others feel too. That's my free newsletter, Playing Favorites. It comes out every Friday. You can subscribe at jayakunzo.com slash newsletter or check the links in your show notes. And now our bonus segment. Every episode, we ask our guests for a podcast that they'd recommend that isn't at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment Play It Forward. This is a really unusual selection because it's so different than our show. But there's a show called The Philosopher's Zone out of, I want to say it's out of Australia. And they interview contemporary philosophers. And if you've ever been in a university philosophy department your professors are not you know a super wide variety of races and genders is i was a philosophy major so 
this team does a really good job of interviewing all kinds of interesting contemporary philosophers. I'm going to recommend it because if you listen to a podcast like this first thing in the morning instead of news, it's just a way more chill beginning to your day and puts you in a different space. That's The Philosopher's Zone. It is put out by ABC Radio National. All right, that's it for this episode. As always, I'm your host, Jay Akunzo. And as always, I believe this work we do, this emotional work, is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. We're so obsessed with the top line numbers growing, but that's not what it's about. It's about the community that forms, the people who stick and stay. So thank you for staying with me. And I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of the show. See ya.